Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi everyone, this is John Hagedorn, and welcome to 1001 Stories for the Road, also known as Caffeine for the Curious, and your home for good old-fashioned entertainment. The advertisement for the Paris Ritz-Hemingway Bar reads like this. Cole Porter would spend up to nine hours a day in the Hemingway Bar. He said to have composed, Begin the Begin Here. F. Scott Fitzgerald had his favorite seat. Ernest Hemingway and Gary Cooper made it the epicenter of their life in Paris and would sit and talk for hours. The legend has long since been written, but here it comes back to life every night. Head barman Colin Peter Field's incredible creations are a reference for cocktail lovers the world over. And while guests flock to this warm, intimate alcove to see what he's shaking up, they also return again and again for the heady, arty spirit that still lingers in this magical place. The night begins and ends at the Ritz Paris. The storied hotel on Paris's Place Vendôme was closed for four years for a $350 million renovation. But when it reopened just last year, all the old memories came with it along with the $1,500 per night room rate. But like Hemingway once said, the only reason not to stay at the Ritz is if you can't afford it. Blunt, but true, like most of his writing. There are a lot of stories out there about Hemingway and his exploits, but this one takes the cake. As the story goes, his wife, who was also a journalist, and just as competitive as Hemingway was, had taken an assignment for Collier's Magazine in 1944 to cover the Allied invasion of Normandy, and Hemingway somehow camped on it, managing to ride in on D-Day, while his wife, Martha Gellhorn, drew a ticket on a tender loaded with explosives. Knowing who they had aboard, the commander of Hemingway's craft delayed his arrival until the beaches were under Allied control. The initial assault, as everyone knows, was brutal, and for that first day, no one was sure of the outcome. After day one, they were still only 50% sure. Once he was on land, Hemingway was of course given strict orders to follow all the rules that correspondents had to live by, those being not to carry a gun, to stay with the group he was assigned to, and to follow orders from anyone who outranked him. Determined to fight his way all the way to Paris for the express purpose of liberating the Ritz Bar, which held years of memories for him, Papa Hemingway used his bluster and personal powers of persuasion to surround himself with a volunteer cadre of independent warriors, including a colonel in the OSS, two military historians, two seasoned resistance fighters, and a dozen or so Mach-Wissant guerrilla fighters. 
men who had escaped the Vichy government and fled to the hills to fight Nazis. Then he loaded a motorcycle and sidecar with whiskey and weapons and headed toward Paris. But it wasn't exactly a free ride, as the small but well-armed band of brothers would discover, and they had to encounter resistance in and around a few smaller villages along the way, one being St. Poix, near which a shell exploded ten yards from the motorcycle, threatening to end their journey and, worse, ruin their liquor stash. When they reached the next town in one piece, Hemingway himself cleared one cellar of stubborn Germans with a hand grenade, probably to liberate the champagne. When word finally made it up the grapevine to Patton that Papa was playing soldier and interfering with his troop movements, there was hell to pay. One morning the renegade band was awakened to find their camp had been encircled by a corps of military police with Patton present to provide the chewing out. So Patton said, If any of you bastards make a move toward Paris before our troops do, I'll court-martial each and every one of you. That took some of the wind out of Hemingway's sails. Enough that he wasn't the first into the city, and not the first journalist either. He had liberated a few wine cellars. One man counted 65 bottles of champagne in Hemingway's Jeep by the time they reached the Seine. Meanwhile, at the Paris Ritz, the only hotel in Paris that the Germans had kept open during the occupation, things were in high gear. Half of the hotel was reserved for high-level Nazis, like Hitler's second-in-command. Morphine-addicted cross-dresser Hermann Goering, who lived in the Grand Suite, while the other half was open for sympathetic celebrities, socialites, and citizens of neutral countries. To keep themselves busy, Hemingway's band went on night raids and pushed on during the day, where, one comrade reported, he didn't talk about anything else but to be the first to the Ritz. He also said, When I dream of afterlife in heaven, the action always takes place at the Ritz. One of the men with the bunch later said that the men around Hemingway were starting to take on his personality, speaking in clipped sentences, and taking on his habits and mannerisms. And why not? At age 45, Hemingway was already an award-winning novelist and journalist, and a worldwide celebrity. His novels, like For Whom the Bell Tolls and A Farewell to Arms, had been made into movies. His hard-drinking flamboyant style and his adventurous life was already the stuff of legend. These men, no doubt, felt lucky to be in his company. As the Allies moved closer, with Leclerc and Patton and Montgomery all grumbling for the right to be first to cross the finish line under the Arc de Triomphe, Hemingway, now attached to the French 2nd Armory Division, was itching to enter Paris too. When they got close, Hemingway managed, using his name and with the help of the American Army, to wrangle a meeting with French Commander General Philippe Leclerc. His request? to be given enough men to go and liberate the Ritz's bar. To the writer's surprise, he got a frosty reception and was curtly dismissed. It was expected that General Leclerc, in command of the Allied troops with regard to the entry of Paris, would be first on the scene, marching up the Avenue de la Grande Armée with a full regalia of tanks, artillery, flags, and bands. But well before Leclerc could get there, a jeep came careening up the avenue, zipped under the Arc de Triomphe, down the Champs-Élysées, and across the Place de la Concorde, then skidded to a stop in the Place Vendôme at the entrance of the Ritz. Hemingway, gun slung in the crook of his arm, was in command of that jeep. He had taken charge of the motley group in the vehicle, 
the same bunch who had fought with him all the way from the beaches. Hemingway, as we already know, called them his irregulars. He led them into the Ritz, proclaimed its liberation, took command of the bar, and ordered champagne for everyone. Soon the renowned combat photographer Robert Capa, later killed in Indochina, came driving up to the Ritz, thinking he was miles ahead of anyone else. But he was amazed to find that Hemingway had beaten him to it. Archie Pelkey, Hemingway's driver, was standing guard at the entrance. Hello, Kappa, Pelkey said. Papa took hotel. Plenty good stuff in cellar. Go on in. According to his brother Lester Hemingway, Hemingway searched the cellar with his men, taking two prisoners and finding an excellent stock of brandy. They also rang up a bar tab of 51 dry gin martinis. He wore the uniform and gave orders with such authority that many thought he was a general, the Ritz's head barman Colin Field remembered. And so, in August of 1944, a legend was saved, not by Hemingway, but by the Allies' rugged determination to defy and exterminate the Nazi threat. What Hemingway saved was a storehouse of memories, which he had helped to build. When broke and struggling, he had enjoyed the company of F. Scott Fitzgerald in that bar and enlisted the services of bartender Bertine to create a cure for the hangover, which Bertine did by creating the Bloody Mary. It was the home to George Bernard Shaw and Madame Ritz of kings and queens, of the Barrymores, of Valentino, of Coco Chanel, of Proust, of Noel Coward, of Cole Porter and Gershwin, and so many more. So many memories, and all of them worth fighting for. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road, where every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we release a new episode for you to enjoy. We're a proud member of the 1001 Stories Podcast Network, hosted at audioboom.com, and listened to worldwide. We invite you to enjoy our other two shows, 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, and 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, at iTunes, and anywhere great podcasts are found. And you can find all three together at 1001storiespodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash 1001storiesfortheroad. And Twitter is at 1001podcast. This is our host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.